Thank you, Lindsay. And uh, once again, welcome to, to Christ Church. If you are a regular attender or if you are a member, welcome back. It's always good to see a, a familiar face. If you are new to Christ Church, so if you are a guest, or maybe this is your first, second, or third time, we want to extend a special welcome to you. Uh, we know that on Sunday morning, there's a lot of things that you could be doing. And we know there's a lot of places that you could be, but you chose to be here with us and worship with us. And so for that, we are so very grateful and glad that you made that decision this morning. So, so welcome. Well, we are continuing our study on, on Philippians. We've been doing this for, for several weeks. Philippians was a letter written by a man named Paul to a church in a city called Philippi. Now, if you may have missed one of the teachings on Philippians, or maybe you've actually missed several of, of those teachings, you don't have to, to tell us, then you can actually go to our website. It's www.ChristChurchRollsville.org. When you go to that website, you'll see the, uh, the homepage, and right in the center, there's a button that says, Listen to a Sermon. If you click on that, then you'll see all of our, all of our podcasts, and you can actually catch up in a relatively short period of time. Well, and as you, um, as you listen to, to those podcasts, or as you've maybe been in this room uh, live listening to, to the teachings, the sermons typically start out in a very similar fashion. The, the teacher typically starts them out in a, in a similar way, specifically when we're looking at Philippians 2. He typically has said, I, I don't feel like I should be teaching this sermon. I don't feel like I should be the one handling this this text, this message. And there's good reason for that. Because Philippians 2 deals with the subject of humility. And you can't talk about the subject of humility. You can't address the the subject of humility without talking about or addressing this issue of, of pride. You see, humility is the absence of pride. And so when we talk about humility, we have to talk about Pride and pride's not really a comfortable thing to, to talk about. I, I'm not really comfortable talking about because I know you're not comfortable hearing about it. And so, because I know you're not comfortable, I'm, I'm not comfortable, but the Bible talks about it, so we have to talk about it. See, pride's uncomfortable because none of us want to be seen as prideful. But yet, at the same time, we all kind of know that we are. We all kind of know that at some point in our lives, we need a little slice of humble pie. You know, I look at this upcoming series, this Advent series, and I was talking to the elders this morning, and I was telling them, man, I wish I could have taught on that. If I would have waited one more week, I could have been teaching on, on that, because everybody likes to hear about Christmas. Everybody likes to talk about Advent, right? They, they want to hear about the shepherds, and Mary, and Joseph, and the angels, and then and, and baby Jesus in a manger. Those are comfortable things to talk about. They're comfortable things to to hear about, man, this issue of pride is it's not one of those. Humility is not one of those. If I would have waited just one more week, I could have I been there. Pride's nasty. Pride is a nasty issue that leads to other issues. Pride is one of those things that always elevates that which is least important in our lives while destroying that which is most important. Pride is something that elevates that which is least important in our lives while destroying that which is most important in our lives. Take example for our relationships. When pride enters into our relationships, it very easily destroys those relationships. 
Pride can destroy relationships with our coworkers. It can destroy relationships with our friends at school. It can destroy relationships with our, with our close friends. And it can even end and destroy sometimes a marriage. Some of you all may have experienced that. Some of you all may have known those who have experienced that. Pride is a nasty issue that leads to other nasty issues. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in the book, he, he addresses the issue of, of pride. And so, and so he says this. He says, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, of which hardly any other any people except Christians, I appreciate the shout out, ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. What he's saying is that pride is easily seen in everybody else. Pride is easily seen in everybody else but me. It's easy to identify pride in somebody else. It's easy to look at a person and say, you know that look, I, I think they're a l- little prideful. Or maybe they say something that comes across a certain way, like, ah, it's, it's a little prideful. It's easy to identify in everybody else, but it's not easy to identify in ourselves. He then goes on. He says, the vice I'm talking about is pride. Unchastity, don't worry, parents, we're not going to talk about that today. Anger, greed, drunkenness, all that are mere flea bites in comparison. And if you were not uh, sure how C.S. Lewis viewed pride, he decides to continue. said it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. So if you're wondering how C.S. Lewis feels about pride, and this is, this is very deep, you can, if you're a note taker, you can write it down. C.S. Lewis thinks his pride is really, really bad. Right? Pride is just a really, really bad issue that we face. But this is why we learn about humility. Because humility is the absence of this, of pride. See, humility crushes pride. You all are familiar with the, the game Paper, Rock, Scissors, where you have the rock, it uh, crushes scissors, scissors cuts paper, paper covers the, the rock. Well, if you were to throw in pride and humility in, into that game, humility would crush pride. See, pride crushes humility. Or, so humility crushes, crushes pride. And so that's what we're going to learn about this morning. We're going to learn about from the, 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 verse of, uh, the verses of Philippians 2, 25 through 30. We're going to learn about what humility requires of us so that then we can crush this nasty, nasty issue called pride. And so right before we dive into Philippians 2, I, I, I want us to watch a, a brief video here. Well, there are several videos like that. And as you, as you watch those videos, if you don't have a, a lump in your throat or maybe your eyes aren't a little teary, I got to tell you, you're not human. The, I love those videos. I love those videos. And I, I purposely did not show a video that actually involved little kids. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and when they involve little kids, I, I just can't take it. I wouldn't be able to, to go on with, uh, with the message. So included one with a little bit, little bit older, older, older uh, son there. Well, why do we like these videos? 
why are there so many of them? And why do so many people watch them? Well, we can all kind of relate on some level. We can relate because at some point in our life, we understand what, it likes to, or what it's like to miss somebody. We know what it's like for somebody to, to go away. And we can, we can relate to that feeling. Well, we can also understand what it's like to have concern for somebody. For them to maybe go away and maybe we get some bad news about them. And because they're away, we're already missing them. And then we hear that something's going wrong and man, we get really concerned. We get really concerned. And we can relate to that. We can relate to that concern. We can also, maybe on some level, understand that the reason why videos like this take place is because of us, right? That reunion would have never been necessary if it weren't for, for us. Because, you see, that soldier went to a place, went overseas, went to another country for an extended period of time, put his family, sacrificed his, his family so that he could go somewhere to protect us. See, that reunion never would have been necessary had not that soldier made that sacrifice for us. See, that's the thing with humility. Humility happens when we set aside ourselves. Humility happens when we set aside ourselves. Now, in Philippians 2, Paul discusses this, this need for humility. Right, right, right at the beginning of Philippians 2. In fact, in verse 3, he starts talking about, about humility. He says, do nothing. If you're curious to know what that word nothing means, it means nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but consider humility, or, but, see, but in humility consider others. So that means everybody else. That means everybody else but you. So others means not you. As more important than yourselves, everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others, for everyone else but you. Now at the end of Philippians 2, Paul commends two men, one we learned about last week, Timothy, and a man by the name of Epaphroditus, which is who we're going to learn about today in verses 25 through, through 30. You see, the Philippians wanted to send Paul a gift, and they wanted to send him a gift, and they also wanted to send him some assistance, somebody to help him out. And so they elected this man by the name of Epaphroditus, and they sent him to Paul. And he was there, and he served him, but in, served with him. But then in, starting in verse 25, we find Paul sending this man back to Philippians. And so in verse 25, it says this, but I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. So here Paul starts telling you who Epaphroditus is to him. He uses the word my. And so he says he's my brother. So he says he's one of us. He's part of my faith family. He believes the same things that we believe. He believes in, in the resurrection of Christ. He's one of us. He's part of our, our faith family. It's, he's my brother. And Paul uses that language Throughout, the, uh, throughout several of, of his letters to identify those who are part of the, the faith family. Then he says, he's my co-worker. You see, Paul was on a mission. Paul was, was, was working for Christ. He was trying to get the name of Christ to places where Christ was not known. 
You see, that was his work. And Epaphroditus helped him with that. He came alongside of him and helped him with that, with that work. So he says that he is my co-worker. He's helping me out in this. And not only is he my co-worker, he says he's my fellow soldier. So he's part of the faith family. He's, he's helping me out. But all along the way, or along the way, there was conflict. There were issues. It hasn't been easy. We've had to go to battle together. And you can see that. I mean, Paul is in prison. So you can see that. There were issues. And so he says, he was one who stood by, by me the entire time in the midst of all this conflict, turmoil, the struggles of getting the name of Christ out to the places where that name is not known. And then he reflects back on the Philippians. He says, and now he's your messenger. So you're the ones who, who sent him. You're the ones who sent him to me. He represented you. He went out on your behalf and ministered. He, he did what he was supposed to do. He, he came alongside me. He ministered to me and with me. In verse 26, we find the reason why Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. He says, Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. You see, along the way, of, along, while Epaphroditus was getting to Paul, he became very ill. And word got back to the Philippians that he had been sick, and they were concerned. And we can understand that. We can understand why that, that happens. Imagine one of your loved ones went far away. Maybe it's a child that goes to college. Maybe you have a, a spouse who goes on a business trip. Maybe you have a loved one who is now a missionary in a, in a foreign place. Maybe you have a loved one who is a soldier that, that goes overseas. You miss them. You miss them. But then you receive a phone call. Maybe you receive an email. And it says that your loved one, they're not doing well. Something happened. They're sick. They're hurt. Well, that level of missing, the level of longing goes from, on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe 8 or 9, to 1 million, 2 million, 3, three million. There, there's no number that can describe the level of concern that you now have for that loved one. And there's only one thing that can really make that better. And it's not a letter from them. It's to see them. It's to be able to see their smile. It's, be able, it's to be able to touch them, to hug them. It's to, be, it's, it's to be able to hear them say, I'm okay. For you to tell them it's going to be okay. So we can relate. We can understand what the Philippians are going through. Why they long, why they hurt, why they worry so much over this news that Epaphroditus is sick. But then Epaphroditus does something interesting. His reaction is in- interesting. He, he is suddenly struck with deep concern for them. So he hears that they are worrying, so he begins to worry about them. And it's not, and we'll find out here in, just in, in the next verse, that it's not just Epaphroditus, it's Paul. So we have a lot of worrying going on right now. You have the Philippians who are worrying about Epaphroditus. Now you have Paul and Epaphroditus who are worrying about 
the, the Philippians. In that reunion, that, that moment of hugging and crying, they know that that has to take place in order for the worrying to, to go away. In verse 27, Paul says, Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. He said, Yeah, what you heard was correct. You may have heard that he was sick. You're right. In fact, it was probably a lot worse than you, you realize. He, he almost died. However, God had mercy on him. So he's okay. He's, he's okay. He nearly died, but he, he's okay. And not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one grief on top of another. Because we already see his concern for the Philippians. You can only imagine what would have happened if Epaphroditus would have actually, actually died. Paul would have been struck with, with considerable sadness. In verse 28, it says this, For this reason... I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice when you see him again, and I may be less anxious. He's imagining this moment where Epaphroditus is, is, is back with the Philippians. He imagined that they're, they're welcoming him, they're embracing him. And in that moment, Paul knows that he can be relieved of that, that worry. He can be less anxious. And so he's sending him back so that that would happen. In verse 29, it's, Paul says, Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with all joy. He said, just in case you don't know how to receive him, welcome him with all joy. Get excited that Epaphroditus is, is coming back. Call the news station. Make sure that they have a camera. Do some type of funny or some type of a, exciting surprise to his family so that there's that moment of embrace. Make sure you put it on YouTube so everybody can, can, un, can, can see it and celebrate along, along with you. He says, welcome him with all joy and hold men like him in honor. So those that do exactly what Epaphroditus did, those who risk their lives for the sake of the name of Jesus, do the same, celebrate the return because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Now, this, this last part where it says, Make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. When, when, when I first read that, and maybe when you first read it, it, it seems a little harsh. It seems like Paul's being a little, it seems like he's jabbing the, the Philippians a, a little bit there. But men much smarter than me pretty much all agree that that's not what he's doing. In fact, one of the, um, one theologian says it this way. He says, verse 30 means your favors shown to me are deeply appreciated. If there were anything lacking in your kindness towards me, you have certainly made up for it by sending me Epaphroditus. And so he's, he's, he's excited. He's, he's thanking them for the, the work that Epaphroditus does and thanking Philippians for uh, sending uh, Epaphroditus to them. So what does Epaphroditus teach us about humility? What, what can we learn about humility from these five verses. And then there's three, three things. First of all, humility requires sacrifice. Humility always requires sacrifice. Humility requires that you will not be able to do something. Humility requires that you will have to give up something. Humility requires that you're, you're not going to be able to maybe pursue 
something. Humility requires sacrifice. And, and here's, here's why. Humility requires us to consider others to be greater than ourselves. Humility requires us to consider others to be greater than ourselves. Our attitude towards God expresses itself in our attitudes towards others. Now, we, we hear words like this a lot, to treat others better than, than ourselves, but you know, I think, imagine if we actually did this. Imagine if we actually considered others to be greater than ourselves. Imagine if at your workplace you considered your coworkers to be greater than yourselves. Imagine if you didn't take advantage of that person so that you could get an advancement or promotion in your, in your job. Or maybe you've been working for a promotion for a very long time. There's a specific position that you want to, to attain. This is your, your dream job. And you've been working several years for this job. Imagine if somebody else got it. And in that moment, Imagine if you celebrated for their success more than you would even celebrate if you had attained, attained, obtained that job. Imagine what it would look like if at school we did this. If at school with our friends, with our classmates, we decided to consider others to be greater than ourselves. Imagine if we did this with our, with our kids. Now, I know most of you all are, are perfect parents. I, for one, am, am not. Um, and so uh, there are times when one of my sons will do something that maybe he should not do. And my reaction isn't necessarily subdued. In fact, you can maybe consider it an overreaction. And there are times when I place a punishment on him that doesn't necessarily fit the crime. Imagine if we as parents, when we did those things, actually acknowledged that. And we said something like, I'm sorry. You were wrong, but I was, I was too in, in, in my reaction. Imagine if we did that. Imagine what our marriages would look like. Imagine what our marriages would look like if we actually considered others to be greater than ourselves. Humility also requires us to remember Jesus. Humility requires us to remember Jesus. If you're, if you're like me, as I was putting this together, and even as I stand here today, the, the certain feeling, thoughts go, go through my mind, and it goes something like this, I don't want to. I just don't want See, there'll be times in life when you're faced with something you know you should do. You know there's something that will put others to be greater than, your, than yourself, but man, it's tough. You don't, you don't want to. That's pride. And there'll be times when you're reading the Bible, and a certain verse will rub you the wrong way, because you just don't like the implications for your, your own life. You don't like maybe the changes that you will have to make in light of what the scripture is telling you. And you just don't want to. 
just doesn't, you just don't feel like doing it. Yeah, that's, that's pride. See, humility requires us to remember Jesus. Humility requires us to remember that moment when Jesus was soon to be executed and he was in the garden. And, and Jesus went and he, he went and, and, and he prayed. And Matthew 26, 39 tells us part of his prayer. It said, going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Humility requires us to set aside ourselves. Yet, not as I will, but you will. You may be thinking, but, but Art, you just, you don't understand how long I have been working for this position. You don't understand how long I've been pursuing this job. You don't, it, it's, it's been years. Yeah, you're right, I, I probably don't under, understand completely. But, yet not as I will but as you will. And maybe you're a student and you're thinking, but you, you just don't understand what that will do to my reputation. I mean, if I, if I do that with this group, if I treat them better than, than myself, it could kill my reputation. I may even lose some friends. The group that I hang out with right now, I, I don't know if I'll be able to hang out with them right anymore. They may, they may make fun of me. Yeah, they They might. That yet not as I will, but as you will. You may be thinking, but you don't understand how my relationship with my dad. You don't understand what I went through. You don't understand how harsh he was to me. You want to talk about a crime, the, crime, the, the punishment not fitting the crime? <laughs> it was much worse when I was growing up than it was me. And, and I never heard the words, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. But yet not as I will, but as you will. And you may be thinking, but it's not my fault. Where our marriage is right now, it's, it's not my fault. You don't understand the situation. You see, he started it. She started it. It's her fault. It's, it's, it's his fault. Yeah, that's, that's possible. But yet not as I will, but as you will. You want to crush this thing called pride? Pursue humility. Remember that we're supposed to sacrifice Humility requires us to sacrifice. Remember that humility requires us to treat others as being greater than ourselves. And most importantly, humility requires us to remember Jesus. Humility requires us to remember 
his sacrifice. Humility requires us to remember the words of, yet not as I will, but as you will. Let's pray. Father, I want to start off by asking for your forgiveness. God, I, I know that this is something that I, that I struggle with on a number of different levels. But God, I thank you for your example. I thank you for what you did, the sacrifice that you made, the example of humility that you provided us. There is no greater example. And God, you took on the, the wrath of, of the world. You took on the punishment not, that was not just due me, but due everyone in this room, due entire world, anybody who has existed and, and who will exist. And you did it even when it wasn't comfortable. God, and there's sometimes that all that you want us to do is let, the, let a car in front of us in the merge lane. We struggle with that. God, help us pursue humility. Help us crush this issue of pride that leads to so many other issues in our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.